All right, what a great song, Leaning on the Arms of Jesus. Boy, there's nobody better to trust in than the Lord Jesus Christ, and he won't fail you. And uh, as the song says, the arm of flesh, flesh may fail you. Uh, we may fail ourselves, to be honest with you, uh, but it's good to know that the Lord will never fail us, and I'm grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter number 3, and we'll continue working our way through the book of Romans. You'll remember in Romans chapter 1 that Paul shows how the Gentiles were really without excuse, and then in Romans chapter number 2, Paul deals extensively with the Jews and the religious leaders of that time and how they had the knowledge of God, but they became puffed up with pride and left God. And, uh, and Paul is a great teacher. He's going to go back and he's going to recap some of those ideas here in chapter 3. And, uh, and he's going to ask questions, as any good teacher would know, uh, that repetition is the key to learning, right? Uh, that's, what, uh, that's what you learn as, as far as teachers go. And you know what? You learn the same thing in kindergarten as you learn in first grade. You just add to it. And then in second grade, you learn the same thing in first grade, and you just add to it, and it keeps going. Uh, why is that? It's repetition uh, until you finally get it and all the way to 12th grade, and, uh, and you're still... Uh, you know what, in 12th grade, you still need to know what 1 plus 1 is, and 2 plus 2, and 3 plus, because they use it, uh, and you still have to use all that stuff. So they build on each other. Paul is doing the same thing in this text. He is building on what he has already taught. So Romans chapter number 3, and verse number 1, the Bible says this, What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? much in every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. As it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the whole world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto the, his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather... As we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. And let's stop there, and, uh, and you're probably uh, scratching your head with all the questions that were asked. I know when I read that, uh, I certainly was. I, I read it, and I reread it, and I read it again, and, uh, and I had to really think about uh, some of this stuff and, and, and study it. And so, Lord willing, tonight I'll help you understand that, and, uh, and hopefully it will be a blessing and a help to you this evening. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Father, for your word that we can study, that we can learn from, that we can grow from, and, Father, that we can uh, apply to our life on a regular basis. God, I pray that you'd use me. I pray, Father, that you would speak through me, God, and that you would touch hearts as only you can. God, I pray that you'd help each and every person uh, to, to get something, Father, not from me, but from your word. And we'll thank you for that. God, we'll give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. 
Amen. As we look at this, uh, you'll notice a lot of questions. And Paul is asking a whole series of questions as he goes through this. And he asks many, as we go through there, he starts right off with uh, the first question there in verse number one. He says, what adva advantage then hath the Jew? And, uh, and I've entitled this passage, just these eight verses that we're going to look at, Paul answering objections. Paul brings up his own objections. Uh, remember that I, as I had stated, he gave in chapter one, uh, what was wrong with the Gentiles? And in chapter 2, and he showed that they were without excuse. In chapter 2, he was talking about the Jews and why they were without excuse. And then he goes on and he explains in chapter 3, and he kind of recaps, but he comes up with some questions that may come across some people's mind as he was going through chapter 1 and chapter 2. And one of the first questions that would come to his mind, at least, and maybe to many other Jews' minds, is he would say, what advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? And, uh, and you, that's a logical question, uh, because he's just got through in chapter 2 uh, explaining how the Jews were profited, but then he was very quick to point out that they, were, they became puffed up with sin and puffed up with pride. And, uh, and it became a problem to them. So much so that they almost claimed, hey, just because we're Jewish, hey, we're untouchable. Uh, and that was kind of the mindset. So he beat that down. And then they're to the point that saying, hey, wait a minute, then what does it matter if I'm Jewish? What profit, what profit is there to be a Jew? Or is there any profit to circumcision? That's the first logical question uh, that, that would come to mind. That first part, he says, what advantage then hath the Jew? This is a recap of chapter 2. Go back with me just one chapter. Let's just read just a couple of verses. We won't spend the time that we did uh, looking at it a couple weeks ago, but Romans 2, verse 17. Look at what he says. Behold, thou art called a Jew and restest in the law, and makest thy boast of God, and knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law, and art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. And certainly that was an advantage to the Jews. The fact that uh, God had given them the word of God, and he goes on and he covers that. The second part of that question or what profit is there of the circumcision, uh, is all summed up in verses 25. Go back to chapter 2. In verse 25, you'll remember he covers circumcision all the way to the end of that chapter. He says in verse number 25, For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. And, uh, and of course, we talked about that. But Paul is recapping. He's going back and he's saying, hey, what's the profit of being a Jew? What's the profit of circumcision? And he's going to recap that. And then he goes in verse number two and he gives them what is uh, the primary advantage. He says, much in every way, chiefly that unto them were committed the oracles of God. Now, that's pretty simple to understand. Uh, but I want us to think about that for just a moment. What does it mean, the fact that they were committed the oracles of God? God had entrusted 
the Jewish nation, nation with the most important and most precious and most valuable thing in the entire world. Uh, if you remember, we've been studying through the book of Proverbs for a while, but many times it'll say that, that the price of knowledge or knowledge and, and wisdom is far above rubies. It's far above the choicest gold. It's far above anything else. And the knowledge, or the wisdom rather that we get comes from the word of God. And so this book is a book that is of, of great importance. And the fact that God would give it to the Jewish nation and say, hey, I want you to be responsible for this book. Now, we, we have a hard time understanding that today. Because I'll be honest with you, I have a copy here. Uh, I have a couple copies in my office. I have a couple copies at home. And, and, and I was looking for a Bible uh, when, I, when I left to go on vacation. I wanted to take one of my uh, older ones. And so I grabbed one, you know, that was older. And I took it with me. And, and, uh, and, and we have multiple copies of the Word of God at our disposal. Uh, not just physical copies, but uh, verbal copies. I, I years ago, uh, I bought the... Uh, probably the Scorby cassette, all right? I don't know if he had eight track. That was before my day. Maybe he did, I don't know. But I bought the Scorby cassettes. And, uh, and man, you had a, uh, now you young people, you don't know what a cassette is, but it, it was a little thing with a little tape and he had to rewind them. And if you didn't, then it didn't start over. Uh, it was really old. And you put it in the thing and, uh, and you hit play and you could listen to Scorby read the Bible. And then uh, the CD set came out. Now you know what a CD is. I skipped the CD because I'm like, I got the cassette. And then the MP3 version came out, and I bought the MP3 version. And, man, I've got Scorby on my computer. I've got Scorby on my phone. You know, you can go right now to YouTube and listen to the Word of God, the King James Bible, uh, audibly, and just listen to it. Uh, we've, somebody got me a little audio uh, Bible, King James Bible, and I can put that I, it's battery operated. I can cake it around me. I can push play and I can just listen to the word of God. We have the word of God so available. We have it. We carry it on our phones. Uh, a lot of times on my phone, I'll, man, I'll shoot a verse and want to look it up and say, well, I want to find out what this verse is. I'll copy it and paste it and send it or post it or whatever you want to do because the word of God is so available today. That, that you and I, we really don't understand the difficulty and the very important task that the nation of Israel had to carry the Word of God. Um, several years ago, my wife came across this, this idea of copying Scripture. And, uh, uh, and so she kind of got the ladies doing it there in, in Italy, and, and, and I, I didn't really do it. The ladies did it, and uh, it was a real blessing to some of them. Well, when I started studying later on in my office, I'd sit down and, and sometimes I would just take a, I'd get a pen out and I'd just start writing out the verses, just copying them, just writing the verses of the text that I was going to preach out of. And I found that writing the Word of God, it helps you stop and it helps you focus on every single word that is written down there. And, uh, and I don't do it every time, but sometimes I'll do that and I'll just write it out. You, you have to understand, the scribes uh, did not have the internet. They did not have a computer. If the Bibles were all wiped out today, if the internet erased all the Bibles, I have copies of the Bible on my computer. I could go to a printer, I could hit print, and I could print new copies of the Bible. 
Now, I wouldn't want to. It would be a lot of work. I've printed John and Romans, and, and, and it would not be a practical thing. It would be about this big because the paper they use for a Bible is special. It's thin. It's not like what you get in your printer. Uh, but, but what I'm saying is I could do that. But imagine they didn't have computers. They didn't have Internet. They didn't even have the printing press. And so the, the, the value of Scripture was to sit down and to copy the entirety of the Old Testament and the New Testament. In their case, they would have just had the Old Testament and copy it from one notebook to another. I want you to think about that for a minute. We had a lady, she, in Italy, she, um, I'm not being unkind by any stretch of the imagination, but she had, she had very limited education. I, I don't even think she made it to high school, to be honest with you. And, uh, and, I, and, of course, I had encouraged people to read their Bibles, and, and she just didn't get anything from reading, to be honest with you. But she started copying out the Word of God. And, and she started copying out, and she started in the book of Genesis. I thought, oh, my. And I tried to encourage her. I'm like, hey, that's wonderful. And she came to me. I mean, she came to me every service excited. And she said, hey, pastor, guess what I wrote about this week? And guess what I copied out of the, the word of God? And she would proceed to tell me the stories of, of Lot and how, how uh, even Abraham, how he was called out and the story of Lot and, and all of this. And, and she copied the entire book of Genesis, I kid you not. And I thought when she gets to the Genesis 50, I'm going to push for John. You need to copy the gospel of John. And I push, I, man, you need to copy the gospel of John. I mean, she went through the entire book of Genesis, and every time she came to me, she was so excited about the things that she had learned by copying. Now, as she read, she didn't get anything. But copying that out, she got a lot out of it, and she was copying the entire thing. She had a notebook that was full, and, and if she messed up, she'd rip the page out, throw it away, and start over. I'm not kidding you. She, she had an immaculate notebook of, the, of a copy of, of, the, of the entire book of Genesis. And then she went on to Exodus. And I thought, oh my, she's never going to make it. I don't know how far she got. But I do know this, she was hand copying the word of God, word for word, verse for verse, chapter for chapter. And, and, and it took her a long time. Could you imagine if you did not have a copy, if you had to sit down with a friend and borrow their copy and copy what was written in the Word of God because it did not exist anywhere else. What I'm saying is, what a huge advantage for the Jewish nation, a huge responsibility to carry the very word of God and make sure that it was right, make sure that it was accurate, make sure that it was uh, guarded and preserved. At one point, one of the, uh, one of the wicked kings, uh, I think it was in, in Ezra, I, I don't remember the, the king's name, but uh, the, one of the, the scribes had, one of the prophets rather had prophesied and the, the scribe Baruch had copied it all out and, and they went to the king uh, and he was a wicked king and he took it and he threw it in the fire and burned it up. And he goes back, and the prophet of God says to the scribe, we're going to do it again. And he, and he, and he prophesied again and gave, and he gave even more than, than, than the first time around. And I thought, man, the amount of work and the amount of investment, we, we know nothing of that. I know nothing of the investment of guarding the word of God like the nation of Israel had to do. And what I'm saying is Paul is saying, listen, 
That was a huge responsibility. That was a huge blessing for the nation of Israel that God would allow them to carry forth the very words of God. The Bible says in, in Psalm 12, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words as silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times. And we tend to forget how precious the word of God is. Turn with me to 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Save your spot in Romans 3. We'll be back there. But turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And verse 20. And thinking about the word of God and the importance of carrying it. Uh, I want you to understand this as we read these verses. Uh, look at how they, they, they had a, a great responsibility. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter number 1 and verse number 20, knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God would often speak uh, through the prophets of the Old Testament and, and those scribes and, and those maybe even the prophets many times would copy down what God had given them. They didn't type it up and just print multiple copies. They had to hand copy out every single thing that was given. And for years, I mean, uh, could you imagine the amount of work that was invested in that? We're talking uh, for at least several thousand years that went on. It was a great responsibility. And as God spoke to these men and the, the Jews, they recorded it and, and kept it and they were responsible for holding on to the word of God. And Paul says back in Romans chapter 3, uh, what advantage then hath the Jew? Look at verse 2. Much in every way, chiefly the most prominent, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The word oracle is used many times throughout scripture and it literally means communication, revelation, or message from God. And the fact that the Jewish nation had been given the word of God was a great advantage. And understand that the church is not a replacement for Israel, but there is a little bit of a correlation, at least that we can draw from that, is that the church has been given the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are responsible to get the gospel to the lost and dying world. That's a, that's a great responsibility. That is a, a tremendous amount of uh, responsibility that we have to carry the, the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to the entire world. That's what he said in, in, James, or in, in uh, all the Gospels. It's recorded, hey, that we have that responsibility. And so Paul is saying, hey, what's the advantage of the Jew? And he says, well, there's uh, the fact that they were given the word of God. Go on to verse number 3 and 4, and he asks a couple more questions. And he says this, For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? We see there very clearly that what if some didn't believe? There were some Jews clearly who did not believe the word of God. Um, there were Jews who uh, that didn't, they didn't adhere to uh, the, the Bible. They didn't follow the word of God. And, and he says, so doesn't that render the advantage a waste? He's saying, uh, isn't, doesn't that make all of that advantage that they had a complete waste? And he goes on in verse 4 and he says, God forbid. 
Yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. Um, and he goes on and says, As it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. The fact that the Jews had, uh, were privileged with keeping the world, and if they had fallen away, it does not render the word of God useless. We, we have got to get over the mentality and the mindset that if somebody fails and if somebody messes up, then everything that they've done in the past is no good. That's simply not true. Uh, if an architect designs a building and he's successful and, and it's a very nice building and then he goes on and he designs another building and it's successful and they build it and it's good and he goes on and he designs another building and it's successful and it's good and he goes on and he designs another one and this one they, when they erect it and when they build it it has a flaw in it. There's a flaw in his architectural design that, that it's going to fail and pretty soon before long that building fails. Should we tear down all his other buildings because he had a flaw in this plan? The idea that many people have is, well, everything that he's ever done is bad. That's not necessarily true. Think of this. There's example in, after example after example in Scripture of just that thing. Think about this in David and how well he behaved himself when he was with Saul and how well he behaved himself while he was uh, living uh, under, under the threat of Saul wanting to kill him. And we think, well, he was a very upright man. Yes, he was. The Bible says. But then you go on, and he sinned with Bathsheba. Now, at that point, most of us would throw him completely away. Say, well, anything David's ever done is no good. That's not what the Bible says. That's not Bible. Matter of fact, David's life was very standing up to that point. And matter of fact, he did sin, and he did fall, and there's no justifying that. I'm not justifying his sin because it was wrong. But the fact of the matter is, he did get it right, and he did go on afterward. It doesn't invalidate everything that he had ever done. And what, the, what Paul is saying is, listen, God had entrusted to the nation of Israel to carry the word of God. Listen, because some of the Jews had fallen away and left the Bible. You go back, I'm reading through the book of, uh, or I have been reading through the book of 2 Chronicles, and I, I enjoy the book of Chronicles, not the first part. If you read the first part, it is name after name after name. But when you get it past all the names and all the record keeping, that is very necessary. You get to story after story after story of king rising that's good and then king rising that's bad. And some of those kings led the nation of Israel in a very wrong way. But that doesn't mean that God's choice to choose Israel to preserve the word of God was wrong. And that's simply what Paul is saying. It does not invalidate fact that, that God had chosen the nation of Israel to preserve His Word. And so I want us to understand that. Uh, and, and that's what Paul is saying here. And then he goes on in verse 4 because he says, God forbid, that's not the case at all. He says, let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, that God may stand even if man fail. And, uh, and then he goes on and he says, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. With me to Psalm 51. Save your spot in, in Romans 3. We'll be back there. Psalm 51 is uh, David's prayer 
after he had sinned with Bathsheba and his asking of forgiveness. And he says here in, in Psalm 51 and verse number 4, Paul is quoting this verse. He says, as it is written there in verse number 4. And in Psalm 51 in verse number 4, it says this, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And this is the part that he quotes, That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the Bible is quoted. And, uh, and it says, it is written. And, and it's not uncommon uh, for them not to quote the whole verse. Now, I, I scratch my head and I pondered that for quite some time because I, I've always wondered, why, why don't they quote the entire verse? Why don't they uh, give the whole thing? Well, let me tell you this about Scripture and about the Bible. In the Bible, there are 1,189 chapters. Let me give that to you again in case you're on Jeopardy. 1,189 chapters in the Bible. There's 31,173 verses. I confess I did not count them all. Okay, I looked it up and that's the statistics that we got. I hope they're right. 31,173 verses. When were those established? They weren't established in Paul's day. Paul could not take the scripture and say, go to Psalm chapter number 51 and verse number 4, and you'll see it is written, and quote the verse. So what I'm saying is, it would have been very easy for Paul to take one phrase and say, it is written, and only quote one phrase from that Old Testament passage, because there were no verse divisions. We put a lot of emphasis, and I like verse divisions, don't get me wrong, but they're, they're, they were not in the originals, and sometimes we need reminded of that because Paul could not say Psalm chapter 51 and verse number 4 says this. He would simply say, it is written, and give you the phrase that stuck out in his mind that he wanted to quote, maybe not necessarily the entire verse, uh, but the passage that he would give. And so many times when we read the, old, the uh, quotes that are given in the New Testament, of the Old Testament, it might not be the whole verse. Because remember, they didn't have the verses. And so there was no way for them to go back and know what verse they were going to quote because it was not an entire verse. And so I want you to understand that. But Paul does quote here and he says, uh, it is written, back in Romans 3, 4, it is written that thou mightest be justified in thy saying. And, uh, and what we're saying is that, listen, God is justified and God is right no matter what man does. I quoted for you earlier Psalm 12. Go with me to Psalm 12. I quoted Psalm 12, 6. And it talks about the word of the Lord is pure and, uh, and the, 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 how valuable the word of God is. Uh, Psalm chapter number 12. See, Paul would just say, it is written. I can tell you where to find it. Psalm chapter number 12, and he says this. We're going to read this whole chapter because I, I love this. Look at what he says. What, what Paul is arguing is that, listen, when man messed up, it did not invalidate what God had ordained. That's basically what he's saying. He says here in Psalm chapter 12 in verse 1, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful 
fail from among the children of men. What he's saying is, listen, uh, the, the people around me are, are falling like flies, uh, is what this psalm is saying, a psalm of David. And he's saying, listen, righteous people are falling into sin. It says in verse 2, they speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said with our tongues will we, pre will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is our Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy. Now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. So in these verses you can see that man is falling into sin and that David, the psalmist, is concerned about that. But he contrasts that and he goes into verse 6 and he says this, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted. It's quite an amazing psalm, to be honest with you, because sandwiched in the middle, not quite in the middle, but in verses 6 and 7, talk about the purity and the righteousness of the Word of God. But verses 1 down through uh, all of them, except for verses 6 and 7, talk about the failures of man. And what he's saying here, and what it corresponds a lot to what Paul is saying, listen, Paul said that the Jews were selected to carry forth the Word of God. Then the question would arise, the Jews, many of them, did not believe and did not follow the Word of God. So does that mean the Word of God is no longer valid? And Paul is saying that is not true. The Word of God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. In other words, what, what God has stated, let it be exalted. And what man does and what man messes up, let it be cast down. And this psalm verifies the very same thing, that God's chosen people have sinned, they have made mistakes, but listen, that does not invalidate the Word of God. The Word of God is pure. It's tried seven times. Listen, the Word of God will stand in spite of every one of our lives. And may we stand with the Word of God. It's not invalidated because of our failure. That's the point that Paul is getting across here in chapter 3 and verse number 4, verse number 3 rather. The question is, for what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? He's saying when man messes up, does that mar the word of God and sow doubt and discord on the word of God? And he says in verse number 4, God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. And I'm amazed time and time again, to be honest with you, that God takes us, wicked man, and he does wonderful things in spite of our failures. There is no perfect man in this world. You won't find him. He does not exist. Jesus Christ was the only perfect man who ever walked this world, and he gave his life so that you and I could be saved but, but outside of him, there, there is no perfect man. It does not exist. And God takes imperfect people as us. And he chooses to do his work and his will in spite of our mistakes. And hey, let God be true and every man a liar. And what, what he's saying is it does not invalidate the work 
that God is doing. Look with me at verses 5 and 6. And he says this, another question he throws out. He says, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? And he puts in here a parenthesis, I speak as a man. I want you to take notice of that parenthetical statement because what Paul is saying is, listen, that's a man's philosophy and ideology. That's what man would think. So let's go back and read that again. These are, these are two questions Paul is throwing out there. Uh, and this is the third set of questions that he's using. And he says, but if, in verse number five, but if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? In other words, if God is always true and man is, is a failure, then why should we as man even try? Would not our failures even cause God to look even better. Um, and, and Paul is saying, uh, and I want you to notice the very first word, he says, but if our unrighteousness. So he's throwing out a hypothetical question, a hypothetical situation, and he does this from time to time, and so you've got to pay attention to that. He did it uh, earlier, but he says, if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Then he goes on. Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? In other words, is God unjust to punish wickedness? That's the questions he's asking. The first part is, uh, is hey, if, if, if we fail as man, if we're prone to failure, what's the point of trying since God is always righteous? And what's the point of the involvement of man? And, and of course, these are hypothetical questions that he's asking. And he says uh, in the second part, let's look at that part. And God is holy and God is righteous. But man's sin doesn't make God even more righteous. You can't improve upon the righteousness of God. Holy is holy. And it doesn't matter where man is, God is holy. And he's always going to be holy. And what we do does not uh, drag that down or make it look better God is always holy, and He always will be holy. So we find the holiness of God is always true, and God is righteous. But the second part of that question is where uh, He says, I speak as a man, because man would think, well, if, if man's unrighteousness makes God look good, and that's an errant thought, then He says, then why would God judge unrighteousness. In other words, God wouldn't be right to, to cause judgment to fall on man. And Paul's very quick to clarify the very carnal thought process of this statement, and that's why he puts in there, I speak as a man. This is, this is him uh, throwing out an objection to what he has been discussing. And then he says in verse 6, God forbid, emphatically he says this again, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? He kind of rephrases and restates the same thing. And he's saying, listen, uh, that God has a right to judge the world. 
Uh, Paul answers that and, and with another question. And the question is obvious that, well, that's not true, uh, that God does have a right to judge the world. He, he asks the question, if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? That was kind of a rewording and obviously saying, well, because you are a sinner and God has a right to judge. And so he's explaining that with questions. And then he goes on and he says in verse 8, And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. In other words, it's never right to do wrong to do right. Is what he We shouldn't live in sin and say, well, this makes God look better. No, that's not the idea. Uh, the idea is that, hey, we ought to live a right life. We ought to seek uh, to glorify God with our life. It's said over and over. And so Paul is just kind of throwing out some questions uh, that may have popped into some of their minds that they would object to what, uh, what was being said. Because if you'll remember in chapter 2, uh, in chapter 1 even, that Paul says, listen, the Gentiles are without excuse. God has revealed himself to them. And in chapter 2, he says, hey, the Jews are without excuse because God gave them the word of God and, and they became puffed up with their pride and he showed them their sin and the fact that they were no longer following the word of God. And so these are some of the questions that maybe they came up with in their mind. The objections are simply this. What advantage is there to being a Jew? And he says, well, there's, they have the oracles of God. That was an important thing. The next question that he looks at, as we covered, is what if some don't believe? In other words, hey, what about those who don't follow God? Uh, did, they, uh, did they invalidate the word of God? And the answer is no, of course not. And then he goes on, and that we looked at here in verses uh, 5 and 6, and he says, if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? But of course, that is not right either. Uh, that listen, God is glorified by taking a man and, and as changing his life and him living right. Not that we would relish in sin and not that we would live like the rest of the world, but that our life would be different. And that's obvious throughout all the teachings of the scripture of Paul. And so he's just kind of recapping with these questions and he's, he's condemning this mindset uh, that, well, then we should just live in sin. No, that's not the idea. Uh, we ought to live right. And uh, it's, as I said before, it's never right to do wrong to do right. So we ought to live our life uh, to honor and glorify God. So those are just three questions. And I know that was deep. Uh, and there was a lot of, of thought there uh, that, that Paul gave out. But I hope that helps you understand at least a little bit uh, of Paul's writing here in Romans chapter 3. And, uh, and I hope and pray that that is a blessing and a help to you. As we stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. And God, it's certainly a lot of information, a lot of questions that Paul throws out. God, I pray that you'd help us in our minds to clarify it. Help us to realize and understand while the great importance of your word that the Jews brought forth from the Old Testament, how they carried that for all those years. 
God, help us to be faithful to carry your message to a lost and dying world. God, help us to live a life that would be honoring and glorifying to you and not think that, well, if we sin, we make God look better. That's not true at all. But help us to live a life, Father, that's pleasing and honoring and glorifying to you. God, help us to do it for your honor and for your glory. God, I pray that you would touch each and every heart and help us to understand your word. And we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Maybe you just want to thank the Lord for, man, the convenience that we have of his word. It's almost so convenient that we take it for granted. Maybe the message that we need to take to the lost and dying world. What a great responsibility we have. 